Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Pakel. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. Guess what? It happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake does the real heavy lifting. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. Now, those of you that have kept up with our live show, you're like, wait a second. Sun is still up. Why are you on my YouTube screen in live and living color right now? Well, a little bit of an audible. This is separation Saturday we're talking about. I mean, this is a slate of games that is going to determine a lot about the rest of the college football season. So we're locked and loaded, going a little bit early on you. Don't worry. It's going to be a good time. Like I just mentioned. It's separation Saturday, and I ran the 400 meters in high school. Was I great at it? Not really. Was it a hard race? Absolutely. Did it teach me a lot about life? I'll let you be the judge about that. However, with that race, there is a point where you have one final turn before you get to that last stretch. Legs are burning, breathing heavy, and it's probably you and the rest of the pack on that turn. And the people that win that race have a little bit of extra kick, a little bit of extra drive, and they win on that turn. To put it simply, that's when the separation happens. And that's where I think we're at in this college football season. It's week seven, so we're not at the end of the season, but we're right around that turn where you're going to start to see some teams get away from the pack. And a lot of big games coming up that are going to determine which teams that it is. We're on podcast. So if you like Spotify, we're there for you. You like Apple, like Goodwill Hunting? How about them apples? We're on Apple for podcasts. Wherever you get it, you can find the hard count. So go ahead, leave a five-star review, leave a comment. It's a good time. Would love to have you locked in there. Also, follow me on the social channels, Instagram and Twitter, at JD Pakel. We do a Q&A there. We actually pulled a segment for this live show from a Twitter post, all right? So very, very important that we're locked in there. We have got a great show lined up for you. We're going to talk all about the third Saturday in October. That's how we're kicking this thing off. A lot to unpack there. Some very big implications for both teams as, of course, like I mentioned, separation Saturday. Going to learn a lot about that within the SEC. Also got Clemson taking a trip down to Tallahassee to play Florida State. It's going to be DJ versus Wild. A wild environment, that is. Going to unpack that in, in its entirety. Penn State and Michigan. About to get it on and popping. A lot of validation, I think, on both sides of that. Whoever wins. Very, very interested to see how that plays out. J.J. McCarthy, the first test for the young Jedi. How does he fare? Is the force strong with this one? We're about to find out. Before we get into that, though, talking about USC and Utah. If you followed this program for any length of time, you know how we feel about USC. And you know that we have had this game circled, underlined, starred. Pretty much any demarcation you could put on this game is what we have done here. Same thing for USC. We are about to learn a whole lot about the Trojans. I'm so fired up to get into it. At the end of the show, kicking down the door, cutting all the red tape, y'all joining the show. Like I mentioned, already have one of you ask a phenomenal question on the Twitter page already. Got a question lined up. But if you have another question, you want to be featured on the show, get in the live chat right now, drop a question. We will do our best to get to it. I'm fired up. Without further ado, let's get to the money. Third Saturday in October, Alabama taking a trip to Knoxville to play the Tennessee Volunteers. Alabama favored by seven and a half points. This is a 3.30 Eastern kick. This has just about everything you could want in a college football game. Rivalry setting, top 10 matchup, old versus new. It feels like at least with Alabama kind of having the SEC in a chokehold for the better part of the last few years. Tennessee kind of the new kid on the block. You're two under Josh Heupel, Hennon Hooker slinging the rock. A lot of storylines to break down within this one. Again, like I mentioned, Alabama favored by just over a touchdown. For Tennessee, you got one swing at the gold standard in college football. I know Georgia is the defending national champion. I know Ohio State has made a lot of noise nationally over the last few years. But in terms of a program, 
that has been the standard across the college football landscape, it's Alabama and Nick Saban. You got one shot at the king. Swing as hard as you can, and you best not miss. Don't be shook. Don't be soft. This is the time to make a statement. Can they do it at home with college game day there? We're going to unpack that, but that's sort of the narrative heading into this one. For Alabama, the margin for error is razor thin. Tennessee scoring about 48 points a game. They're dangerous. I'm telling you, this is not a dog that you want to mess around with. For Alabama, we have noticed a little bit of a different feel from them. And you know it if you've watched them any length of time this season. There is a mix of guys that have a lot of experience on this team, the guys that have played in the national title a year ago and guys that understand the standard, the Saban way of doing things. There's also a number of new faces. And whether it's via the transfer portal, whether it's guys that are just now getting some experience from a playing time perspective, there's a little bit of newness to this Alabama roster. How does that impact this game? Because... Twice now, we've seen Alabama in some relatively big spots at Texas. And then when Texas A&M came to town last week, we've seen them look just a little bit lackluster. Now, a very big talking point in this game. Bryce Young, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? We have a very strong lean that he will play. That's how we're going to break this game down. But we'll mention what happens if it is Jalen Miller, that quarterback, for the Crimson Tide. So the hinge points in this game, if you're new to the program, Hinge points for us are, depending on which way this variable leans, we think it determines the outcome of the game. We got a couple of them for you in Tennessee and Alabama. For Tennessee, the running game for this offense is like the batteries. If you have that going, the rest of the offense works just fine. Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, both been eating this year, both right around four and a half yards of carry. Now, what does that do for you? It just allows all the freak shows on the outside to get working. And in this game especially, Henry Hooker's going to have a chance to test that secondary. We're going to talk about that more in a minute, but that is crucial for them to be able to stay on schedule and just have so much more flexibility as an offense. Because when a defense has to worry about Jalen Wright on first down, Jabari Small on second down, well, if you have some success those first two downs, guess where you're living in? Third and four, third and three. It's a lot more comfortable than third and seven, needless to say. But... In terms of a playbook, it allows you to do play action. It allows you to do quick game. It just opens up so much more for you and ultimately allows you to keep Alabama a little bit more off balance, which is, again, how you're going to win this game. So that's a crucial variable to watch there. On the flip side of that, though, Alabama giving up only two and a half yards per carry. Something has to give here. Something has to give, whether it's the defensive line or whether it's the backfield of Tennessee, there's going to be some sort of push whether it's early in the game whether it's late in the game there's going to be some determining moment where this ends up rearing its ugly head and whoever can win this hinge point i think has a really good chance to end up winning this football game for alabama though i don't mean to get too ahead of us and to harp on the secondary but if you can force some passing downs like we just talked about third and seven third and eight well you allow your secondary to one anticipate the pass coming two just be in better position and that's going to be a big deal. For Tennessee, Cedric Tillman had a tightrope surgery. Again, we're not doctors on this show. We barely graduated college. However, we do understand the tightrope surgery was a procedure he got done to allow him to be able to recover quicker. Josh Heupel just came out and said it point blank. He's like, yeah, he got the surgery. I'm to return in this game. Again, we lean towards him probably playing. Will he? It's not confirmed. There's no real report out there saying he will or he won't. I'm just saying with Cedric Tillman having got that surgery, I'd be surprised if his competitive nature doesn't push him over the edge and get him active in this game. So that leads us to the next hinge point. Whose secondary is going to hold up? I think you have a tale of two secondaries when you turn on the tape. One is Tennessee's just been pretty egregious. Quite frankly, look at the stat sheet, giving up over 300 yards a game. That's a problem. Now, on the other side of things, Alabama has had their own issues. You don't see it quite so much in the stat sheet, but more so when you turn on the tape. Going back to Tennessee for a second, Alabama has had issues pressing the football downfield. If they can have Bryce Young in this game, that makes you feel a little bit better about those chances, but you got to have somebody to pop the top. A guy I'm looking at to take over in that department, Isaiah Bond. He's a freshman, dude is stupid fast. 
Dude has got some wheels for legs, okay? So if he can be a guy that's a factor early in this game and can take advantage of that secondary for Tennessee, that would be huge. That would be exactly what the doctor ordered for this Alabama offense because they feel like if they can just hit on one, maybe two early, that opens the floodgates. Because the concern isn't so much, do you have the guys to go deep? It's the concern of, well, hey, the guys that we had going deep last year aren't here, and so our chemistry taking a little bit of time to get set up. If it could hit in this game for Alabama, that would be a very, very big deal for Bryce Young and company. Flipping the script back towards Alabama, like I mentioned, you don't see it when you look at the stat sheet. Right around 160 yards given up per a game is the secondary in terms of passing yards. The concern for me is what happens when that ball's in the air? Not so much are you able to bat it down. I'm worried, can you just not keep from doing pass interference? Here's a stat for you. If you were to guess off the top of your head, where do you think Alabama ranks in 131 FBS teams in terms of penalty yards? Just guess. We're going to pause a second and let you get your answer. Okay, that was like two Mississippis. They're 118th. Nick Saban doesn't do that. Like Nick Saban coach ball clubs just don't do that poorly in terms of penalties per game. And there's not a, a stat that we can necessarily pick out of that, but I would venture to say a large percentage of those penalties are pass interference. We saw Evan Stewart last week. He's a dude. Don't get it twisted. He's a dude for Texas A&M. He's only a freshman. He had a game against Alabama. We saw Texas in week two. Quinn Ewers in his first start against real competition was dealing. Again, another dude. You hear what I'm saying here, though. There have been issues on multiple occasions against formidable competition for Alabama in that secondary. If they don't want to come to play, if they don't want to come to play the football, rather, when it's in the air and Brew McCoy is able to kind of do what he does, Cedric Tillman gets back and gets back into a rhythm, Jalen Hyatt, not the hotel, but he's got reservations for six, it could be that kind of game. And that's not the kind of game you want to play for Alabama. Because we've seen from multiple teams when Tennessee draws first blood and they put the pedal to the metal, they get up a score or two, well then pressure goes back to the offense and you're swinging and you're pressing and you're trying to find a way to get back into the game and you're not able to just kind of play your consistent game plan. So the Alabama secondary will be tested in this game. Got a lot of guys, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Eli Ricks, the LSU transfer, a guy that we're still sort of waiting to say his name more frequently in terms of impact on a game. Terry and Arnold, for my money, probably one of the better DBs in their secondary right now. They will all be asked a great deal of in this game to slow down that high-powered Tennessee offense. Because Tennessee's pushing the ball downfield just about as well as anybody else in the country. Averaging right now 11 yards a pass. That's dangerous. You don't want to play around with that kind of firecracker, all right? Get yourself burned. Final thing I'm looking at here, the quarterback spot for Alabama. Let's just say, for example, Jalen Milrow is your quarterback. There needs to be a different management of him in this game than you saw last week. Because last week, you saw, as an Alabama fan, Jalen Milrow running Bryce Young's offense. Folks, Jalen Milrow is a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal talent. I think he'll do great things for Alabama in the future, but he is a very different skill set than what Bryce Young brings to the table. Jalen Milrow is more Jalen Hurts, if that makes sense. That's kind of the comp that I would give to him. Good arm, but his strength is running the football. If Jalen Milrow starts at quarterback for you at Alabama, I want to see a lot of zone read. I want to see a lot of quick passes. I don't want to see him taking a three-step drop, five-step drop, and asking him to do what Bryce Young did because he's not Bryce Young. Don't treat him like it, all right? However, I do think Bryce Young plays in this game. Nothing confirmed. Feels like he will. For Bryce Young, my question is, how big of a game do you need from him? Like, not just how big of a game do you want from him. What do you need from him? Because what I think you want to avoid is that Superman kind of effort you asked of him against Texas. I mean, for three quarters, it felt like Texas was going to win that game. And it wasn't until number nine, went into his closet, probably went back to the locker room and found it over under his locker and put on the red cape with the S under his jersey and just said, no, I'm going to take over. This is just kind of my day. Got a Heisman Trophy back in Tuscaloosa that I keep next to my bedside table. I'm taking over today. I don't think you want to ask him to do that in this game. One, because he's coming off an injury. Two, because you don't want to live that way as an Alabama fan, as an Alabama team. Because that means, okay, the run game's sort of sputtering. That means that the defense is having issues slowing down the receivers of Tennessee. And like we talked about, the run game's working. 
If that's the case for Alabama, I have concerns beyond just this game. However, I think the firepower of Tennessee could make that a difficult formula if that's how you're going to win. So we're going to get into our prediction here in just a second, but I want to say this before we get into it. Lost a lot of sleep on this one. Went back and forth all week long. Went through a lot of different situations that could happen. And here's where I arrive. Alabama, regardless of this game, they may win the national title. We sat here a few weeks ago in this exact same chair, exact same mic, looked you dead in the eyes and told you we think Alabama wins the national championship. To be honest, I have a hard time refuting that claim right now. To the exact same token, though, to this point in the year, this is not Nick Saban's kind of football team. I don't think they're a finished product. I think they are going to be much better in November than they are today. So with that being said, the momentum, the energy, the environment, that's all going to favor Tennessee. Like I said, this is a very big moment for their program. College game day is back. Hennon Hooker's in the Heisman Trophy conversation. Josh Heupel's got him playing some of the best football in the country. As a rule, I never like to bet against Nick Saban. We're breaking that rule today. I think Tennessee gets the upset in Knoxville in Neyland Stadium in an orange out, wins this game 37-36. to Didn't even feel good coming out of my mouth, to be honest with you. We could sit down here on Sunday morning and have egg on our face. But based on what we've seen, that's how we feel. We're calling our shot. We're taking the Vols. Roll party roll. All right, another game to get to. Clemson going to Florida State. Three and a half points favorites. Now, this game opened at four and a half. That feels just a little bit low. I promise you. Davo Sweeney is more than fine with that. He's fine with that. You, you hear him talk about it all the time. Poor old Clemson likes to play up that sort of conversation, not because he likes to play the victim, because of the way that he likes it to motivate his football team. He feels just fine playing the underdog card, being under the radar. Little stat for you. The top 15 teams in the AP poll, their combined record right now, 83-3. and three. Guess where two of those three losses came from? Clemson, South Carolina. Tigers handed out two of those L's. Food for thought. They feel like they can play with anybody. This is one of their last hurdles when it comes to the ACC schedule. Still got some tough teams to play. It's not to say they're going to just be untested the rest of the way, but they feel like if they can get past this hurdle, it's going to be a dead sprint to be able to get back to that title game. So that's Clemson. For Florida State, two tough losses in a row now. One from Wake Forest, one from NC State. Not optimal. Doesn't feel good. Talk to people around the Florida State program. They say, we're fine. We're fine. And a lot of that comes from there is a self-awareness within that program that, yeah, we, we kind of gave that game away against NC State. If you're watching it towards the end of that game, Jordan Travis throws a ball that they scored on earlier in the game to Micah Pittman, and the ball goes where he didn't mean for it to go and gets intercepted, and that was sort of the ball game for Florida State. But bottom line, they could have won that game very easily, and they know that. So a win against a team like Clemson, one of the top-ranked teams in the country, that would validate a lot of the belief they already have to a degree in-house. There's the thought that, yeah, maybe we can do what we think we're capable. We've shown it multiple times from other teams, but against Clemson, that win would be just another huge brick to lay for the foundation of their season, a huge brick to lay for their confidence. A very, very big deal for Florida State coming into this game. Really quickly, subscribe to the channel. Would love to have you along for the ride. Makes this a lot more fun having you on board. That's what does it. All right, roll party. What we're looking at in this game, we alluded to it in the introduction for DJ Uwe Ungalale. It is DJ versus wild, parentheses, environment. DJ versus this wild environment is what it feels like to me because DJ Uwe Ungale has played some pretty good football this season, silenced a lot of doubters. We have supported him pretty openly on this show. He hasn't played in an environment like he's going to play in this coming Saturday in Tallahassee. That's not to knock what he's done already. I'm just saying this is a new challenge. To the same token, six of the 11 starters for this Clemson offense are either a freshman or a sophomore. 
So you got some cats going in there that, quite frankly, this will be a new environment, a new field, a little bit of a shock factor. So that begs the question, how does that impact them? Is that more juice and just fuel to the fire and guys play to that environment and get psyched up, ready to silence them? Or is it a little bit of a deflation? Is it something that makes you nervous? Start biting the fingernails a little bit? Cause some mistakes that you wouldn't usually have if it were to be held in a library, if you catch my drift. Very, very crucial to watch as this game plays out. Because for Florida State, it has been widely documented they want to just play ping pong with whoever they have across from them. Sounds a little bit funny, but roll with me a little bit here. They just want to hit the ball back and make you make the mistake. Now, the reason we've seen them lose is they've made their own mistakes, and that's why they've ended up on the wrong side of these last two games. But if they can play to that environment, and DJ does make those mistakes, he reverts back to old DJ, well, then Florida State's cooking with gas. And that's just sort of the way they want to go about it. Something to watch for, though. If they do go into a quote-unquote scary environment, let's just call it what it is, when you were a kid and you got scared, what did you cling to? Your blanket, right? Big safety blanket. Well, he's got a couple of those safety blankets. Let's read this off. Davis Allen, the tight end, he's six foot six. Joseph Ngata, wide receiver, six foot three. Jake Brenning School, Nashville product. It's a tight end, he's six foot six. We've seen on multiple occasions now when there's a big moment, when you need a big play, Clemson goes to their big boys. I'll tell you what, you just can't teach big. You can't. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care who your trainer is. If you're six foot six, you're six foot six, and you have the advantage over whoever is the 5'11 defensive back trying to guard you. That's the fact of the matter. Watch for Clemson to try and take advantage of that in big moments because it's paid dividends in the previous games. I mean, Davis Allen had a day against Wake Forest. Jake Brenningstool was a guy they relied on a lot against NC State. Joseph Ngata just comes up with big catch after big catch. That's going to be a matchup to watch because they continue to win those 50-50 balls. At Clemson, they feel like those are 90-10. Just the fact of the matter. Now, with that being said, if you're going to double team some of those guys, you say we're tired of having the big six foot dude, excuse me, six foot six dude rather, just dominate over the middle. Well, Boston College said that exact same thing, tried to double some of those guys, freeze up other receivers. Antonio Williams, the freshman, I think he's the missing ingredient to this offense. Adds a lot of shiftiness, a lot of speed. Talked to Matt Conley on Clemson Sports or Clemson on three site. He just said, dude catches everything. Really nice to have as a receiver. Watch for him to also impact this game if they do try and take away the big boys. So we'll see if they can do that. Another hinge point for us in this game. How much is the Florida State wide receiving core allowed to impact this game? What I mean by that is you look at the edges, right? The edge for Clemson is the defensive line. Those front seven are a bunch of freak shows. Brian Brzee back this week. Xavier Thomas had two sacks in six snaps. They don't expect him to play at the normal snap count, but they think it'll be closer to the teens as opposed to the single digits that you saw last week. So he's going to impact the game. They feel really confident about what that front seven can do. Going to give them issues. However, look to the back end. Clemson secondary, they feel a little bit more confident. They've seen that group grow up a little bit more. They're young, they're beat up, whatever it is. They're playing a receiving core with some dogs. Johnny Wilson, all 12 foot six of him. Pokey Wilson can run. Micah Pittman, tough as nails, made a one-handed grab on his helmet and just rocked the dude to sleep for a celebration. Was super, super dope. You hear what I'm saying? They're going to have their work cut out for them. So it's this sort of ongoing battle throughout the game for Jordan Travis. Do you have time to get it to those guys? Because when Brian Brzee is in your living room, it's hard to do anything. All right, that's something I want to watch. How much is he allowed to operate and get the ball to those playmakers? Because they think they can win. They think they can get the ball out to them and be able to make some plays, but if you can't get the ball out, it's all for naught. That's sort of a moot point, if you will. So for me, the question then lies for Jordan Travis, how much does his mobility impact this game? Is he able to escape pressure and buy extra time to throw? Not buy extra time to be able to scramble out of bounds, buy extra time, keep your eyes downfield, and find a Pokey Wilson. Find your own safety blanket in Johnny Wilson. That's going to be a really big deal. 
Because if Clemson can't capitalize there, this game could get interesting. And that could be a reason why the line is what it's at and why it's moving the way that it is. Who has the steady hand? Especially when there's mistakes. DJ Uyunglelec, we already talked about in this game, he has played well to this point. We know that old DJ exists. Now, he hasn't really shown himself too much this season, wasn't enormously efficient last week against Boston College, but we know that he exists. Does he revert back if the crowd noise gets to him, if he throws an early pick, if there's a fumble? Does he feed off of his teammates and able to sort of steady himself, or is that something where, hey, man, one of the propellers in that plane went out, and you're just spiraling on down? Something to watch for. To the same token, Jordan Travis, we saw him last week throw two picks. Jordan Travis, to my understanding, is a very intense human being. And for intense human beings, there is two things that happen when things don't go your way. There's the first thing, or I guess two responses rather. The first response is Mamba mentality. No flinch, doesn't matter, next play, I'm unfazable. That kind of intensity. The other reaction is so intense that you get bunched. Start talking to yourself, why'd I make that throw? Golly, I can't throw two picks, just lost us the game. How much does that internal battle happen for Jordan Travis, and which reaction does he go to? I think the quarterbacks and their psyche will be a really, really big factor in this game. Because in games like this, we got two heated competitors, two programs that feel like they have a shot to do more than just win this game. There's going to be some momentum swings both ways. I don't think either team's set for a cakewalk. Now, the crucial variable for me in this whole who has a steady hand thing, like I talked about, teammates picking each other up for Will Shipley, he may be the X factor in this game for Clemson. Because Florida State giving up a smooth 170 yards on the ground. Folks, I'm not great with numbers. Math was never my strong suit. That ain't good. That's not good. For DJ, if he does throw an early pick, to be able to say, all right, Will Shipley, carry the low, my guy, could be a very big luxury to have for Clemson. They want to throw the ball. They want to be able to let DJ cook a little bit. But if Will Shipley's eating, I promise you, they're going to keep putting more and more on his plate. Our prediction for this game is as follows. We already talked about it. Dabo loves where this team is at. He loves the external things being said about this team. He loves the fact that they're sort of on the edge of the playoff conversation and everyone's talking about Ohio State and Bama and Tennessee and all those teams. He's cool with just being on the Roy bus. At week seven, oh, he loves it. He absolutely loves it. And I think he has his team's mental focus exactly where he wants it to be. I think DJ has the confidence right now to be able to play well in this game. And they have the things around him that are sort of coming together and they get their D-line back healthy. For that reason, I think you see a signature kind of Clemson game from that front seven. I think Clemson ends up winning this game in a dogfight kind of fashion, 27 to 17. Clemson gets a big dub in Tallahassee. Separation Saturday. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Clemson just sort of continues to pull away from the pack. A lot of questions about what they were going to be offensively, what's the defense going to look like. Back end was a cause for concern against Wake Forest, and you just see Clemson on that turn sort of separate from the pack. I think that's what happens in this game. Excited to break it all down. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. we got 127 of you watching live. We appreciate that so much. You drive this show, subscribe so we can get a better gauge for what you want to see. USC is going to Utah. Three and a half point dogs going to Salt Lake City. This game is going on at 8 Eastern. And there is no shortage of implications for the Trojans. Pac-12, yes. College football playoff, potentially even more so. We said it in the beginning of this show. We've had this game circled as a fork in the road for USC season for a long, long time. Make no mistake about it. This is a prove-it game for them. They've won tough a couple of times. They've played good against the competition that they've had scheduled, quite frankly. This is the game where they can validate a lot of what they believe about themselves in that locker room. For USC, this is the final boss in the Pac-12. You want to be the big dog on the block? Want to be the big dog on the West Coast? you got to be the defending champion. And Utah took an L last week, took an L in week one to Florida, took an L last week to UCLA. 
I don't think that there's any flinching on that sideline at all. Kyle Whittingham has got a program. Good team, yes, but a program that is built to last. Has a quarterback in Cam Rising who is following suit in terms of not being phased. They're going to give USC all they can handle and then some. USC is, I think, in a little bit of a dangerous spot with Utah having lost last week because for Utah, UCLA just kind of gave you a little slap, right? I mean, it wasn't fatal. Didn't put you down. You lost the game in terms of the course of your season. They just gave you an open-handed slap. So now what happens is you sort of shake your head a little bit, kind of get your wits about you, and the fight or flight starts to kick in. That's what I think we could see with Utah. What this game comes down to for us, we said it at the beginning of the season. The same question I think needs to be answered against this kind of competition. Can USC be tough enough? Straight up, can they be tough enough? Not can they be the tougher team, not can they be physically dominant, but can they be tough enough? The defensive line giving up around 152 yards rushing, so the trenches is a little bit of a cause for concern. It's not egregious, but it's not necessarily a winning formula in this game either. Because if they can't stop the run, if they have an outing like they did against Stanford, where Stanford really drove into their territory multiple times but couldn't finish and turn the ball over, if they want to allow them to drive like they did and run the football like they did, then Utah just going to kind of dictate their tempo. Say, so Caleb Williams, you got to watch this game, my guy. That's great, all about the Heisman Trophy and how highly you'll go in the NFL draft when it's your time, but you're going to have to take a seat for the majority of this game because we're going to hold it for like 35 minutes, 40 minutes. And that's just going to be the way that we get down. You're in Salt Lake now. That's what Utah wants to do. However, if USC can get some stops, they've been very turnover efficient on that side of the ball, had a propensity to take the ball away. If they can get some stops or even better yet, some turnovers, well, guess what that does? It allows the offense to have an impact on the game. It sounds simplistic. This is what it comes down to. Football is a simple game. The more possessions USC gets, the more bullets they get in the chamber, the more chances they have to put the pressure on Utah. You saw that from UCLA last week. They were able to get some stops, were able to put up somewhere around 40 points in that game, I believe. And they just sort of chipped away at Utah. But the fact that Utah wasn't controlling that game is why UCLA was able to be successful. Second thing we're looking at when it comes to the hinge points within this game, what kind of fight does this become? Because Utah would like to make this a wrestling match. Close quarters, kind of physical, grunted out kind of game. Got you in a chokehold, got you on the ground, and then sort of grappling for the majority of the game. USC wants this to be an MMA fight. Throwing punches, being quick and fast within the field of play, being able to play in space. And I say that because if you look at the tape a week ago from UCLA, Chip Kelly, the mad scientist that he is when it comes to offensive football, they just read them to death in that zone read. They lined up in like a full house kind of formation multiple times. What I'm saying is they forced Utah at many times to play in space. That's not the kind of game Utah likes to play. That's not the game they were able to play last week against UCLA because UCLA made them just look foolish in space. Charbonnet had an absolute day, the UCLA running back. That's the same kind of game USC wants to play because it's no secret how much talent they have on offense. They're going to do a lot of read option game as well. DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, quarterback for UCLA. He's a dude. He's a really good athlete. Caleb Williams is a whole other beast when he pulls the ball. So for Utah, what happens to the edge of your defense, your overhang players, your defensive ends, your outside linebackers? Are you able to keep the game within the hashes? Are you able to sort of force the ball back inside to your big, strong guys? That's what you want to do. If you can't do it, you're going to have to deal with the same problems you had a week ago. Jordan Addison getting jiggy with it on the screens. Caleb Williams out on the edge. You got to try and tackle him. Travis Dye, he's a fiend. Mario Williams, like we, we could keep going here with all the dudes that USC has, but that's the kind of formula that I think will determine which kind of game Utah's able to play. The read option kind of game, the, the screens, everything in space. Space favors USC. MMA fight favors USC. Utah, I promise you, will try to make this a wrestling match. Alluding to what we had already said earlier in this preview, who gets more possessions? 
like it sounds funny to say out loud, but genuinely, who gets to have the football more? Both these programs taking the ball away right around two, two and a half times a game. Gives you more ammunition for the offense. If USC is able to have as many or more possessions than Utah, that favors them, I think they win this game. Going to get to our prediction here in a second, but that's going to be a crucial ingredient. Because Utah wants to make Caleb Williams, like I already said, they want him watching this game. They don't want him on the field. They don't want him playing. They want him watching. And the more possessions he gets, the more chances they get to get into a rhythm, the more chances they get to get your defense off balance, show you different looks. That's not the kind of game that Utah wants to play. They want to make this as boring a game as possible. Sounds funny to say out loud, but I promise you that's the truth. USC scoring 40 a game. Numbers a little bit skewed based on the competition, but that's a very real number. Okay, so for Utah, limit the possessions, hold on to the ball, play tough, play physical. That's the kind of formula. Our prediction for this game. I watched Chip Kelly's team last week in the Rose Bowl just really go up and down the field with Utah. Something I didn't expect to see. And that was the second time now that I've seen a team with really good offensive team speed give Utah fits. Maybe this is the game where they figure it out, but from what I saw on tape a week ago, I don't think those are one-week fixes. If they are, great for Kyle Whittingham and his staff. Great for Utah. However, I don't trust that defense enough against this USC offense that's scoring 40. During the preseason in our rapid pick segments that we did, we said that USC would lose at Utah. We're changing our tune. This team has come together in a really quick amount of time. Been really impressed with the offensive efficiency. The defense has been solid enough. I think this is a big game where they get tested, but they're good for the call to action. I think USC wins this game very, very close. Comes down to a field goal, but the Trojans get a prove-it kind of win, 33-30 to in Salt Lake City. And if that happens, we talk about separation Saturday, every single game we go down, that would sort of continue to chart the course for USC to, one, play for a Pac-12 title, may have to play Utah again, we'll see, but I'm eyeing that UCLA team and saying we might get to have a battle for LA twice. We might get to see USC versus UCLA not once, but two times. That would be a lot of fun. But again, USC is charting their own course, continuing to separate, and this would be a big game to separate even more and make a statement to the rest of the country, hey, got a lot of dudes, got a lot of players, got a lot of big names, but we're for real. It's the kind of game you want to play for USC. We have got a big game. And when I say big game, you're substituting that I for the number one which is a very cool thing the Big Ten does. But Penn State is going to Michigan. Michigan is a seven-point favorite. Game kicking off at noon Eastern. Just feels like classic football, right? Two big brands in the fall time. The leaves are changing colors. It'll be a little bit crisp. Two teams that like to run the football, play physical. I'm fired up for this one. The narrative doesn't change for this show. For Michigan, it's a chance to separate. It's a chance to show, yes, we look a little bit different offensively. Got a new guy pulling the trigger for us at quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, the young gun, but we're still here. We're still one of those forces in the Big Ten. Still got to deal with us. Chance to really prove themselves because this is their first real test. No knock on Maryland. Indiana gave them a bit of a scare, but I think this is their first real test where the logo has all of Michigan's attention. This Penn State logo, or maybe the lack thereof when it comes to their white helmets, that will get Michigan's best shot. I'm excited to see what that looks like. For Penn State, I think it's their chance to the same token to prove they belong in that upper tier of the Big Ten. Because there's been a lot of talking about Ohio State and Michigan, and I promise you, James Franklin just sort of sitting there, maybe rubbing his head a little bit, just saying, I mean, did they forget about us? They forget how experienced we are at quarterback? They forget all the things we've done in the past? It's their chance to make a statement as well. I think they want to very much prove, hey, you mentioned Ohio State, you mentioned Michigan, you better mention the Nittany Lions as well because we're for real. And a win in this game would signify that to the rest of the country. Question for J.J. McCarthy. How do you handle an accelerated shot clock, my guy? Because as good an athlete as he is, Penn State is really good at pressuring the quarterback. They're going to get after him quick, fast, in a hurry. 
So when you watch J.J. McCarthy these last few games, he'll take a three-step drop, five-step drop. When he gets back there, he's got all day to throw. I mean, he's got all spring vacation to throw. Just kind of hanging back there. And he also trusts himself quite a bit with his athleticism. He knows if someone comes off the edge, one, I see them coming because I've been back here for 14 hours. Two, I'm fast enough to where I can get away. That's going to be a little bit more neutralized. Not to say that Penn State's going to just take it away, but they're going to make him get the ball out a lot quicker than he's been able to in the past, or he's been forced to in the past, rather. Something I want to see. Because with J.J. McCarthy, we've talked so much about his talent and the potential that Penn State has to, excuse me, the potential that Michigan has as an offense with him at quarterback. They can score more points. They can probably score quicker, all that. But we haven't really seen him go through any growing pains yet. And just full transparency, every quarterback, every young quarterback will have a growing pain kind of moment. And to remind you of your middle school days, you know that different people have different growing pains, if that makes sense. Some of us get mustaches, and in the eighth grade, we're the cool kid. Some of us in the eighth grade have really bad acne. Which one is it for, for J.J. McCarthy? Are the growing pains four interceptions in an ugly game and you take an L? Or is it, hey, two interceptions, one bad fumble, maybe it's, maybe it's only a couple interceptions and it doesn't kill you? That's something I'm curious to see because I think that kind of game is still out there for him somewhere. Is it this Penn State game? I don't know, but this will be his first real test having to play a front seven that's going to pressure him and make life difficult. When it comes to Penn State, the offense is always going to be a hinge point, right? Like the fan base, whether it's fair or not, they have, I don't want to say issues. There's a little bit of a love-hate with Sean Clifford. Some of it might be because Drew Aller's on the sideline and he's got a whole bunch of stars next to his name. And when you've seen him in action, he's been pretty darn good, been more or less as advertised at points. The potential is exciting about him. So maybe that's why you hear more Sean Clifford hate than you probably should. But there's pressure on him, right? And we've seen when this offense is able to be balanced, when they can take pressure off of him, that's when he's at his best. Because a lot of the issues that Penn State fans have with Sean Clifford, I don't know if all that's fair because you remember there was a drought for a while there where Penn State couldn't run the football effectively. How many of you know when you're a quarterback and the defense knows you can't run the football, it's really hard to be efficient and effective on offense? So maybe a little bit of grace for Sean Clifford. But what this game comes down to for me, for Penn State's offense, can you be like the stove, a hot stove rather? Not just can you cook, not just can you be able to get things going on second and third down. I mean early in the game. Michigan is going to try and pressure Sean Clifford. They will test him. They will come after him, and they will try to make his life uncomfortable. For Penn State, can you be that hot stove to where, where Michigan goes for you, they burn their hand? You hit them with a big explosive play over the top, ideally. Maybe it's to Strange. Maybe it's to Tinsley. Whoever it is, can you hit a big play deep to where Michigan says, all right, that hurt. That burned us. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to have to play a little bit more honest. Because if you can, that makes the rest of the game a whole lot more simple for Sean Clifford. You're able to be a little bit more effective, be a little bit more balanced, and live in that play-action game that we saw them do against Auburn. Be able to drop back and have a little bit more of an honest picture rather than having a corner blitz on third down from the boundary. A more simplistic picture is possible if you make them pay early. Burn stove protocol. So at the end of the day, who gets to play more balanced? Michigan wants to run the ball 58% of the time, according to the numbers. Numbers probably a little bit skewed. Same thing for Penn State, right around 53% of the time. They want to feed their backs. It's hard to blame them. Michigan's got Mr. It's Corum himself. It's got the juice. Blake Corum been balling all year long. He's somewhere around 700 yards already this year, which is just disgusting. Got a two-headed monster at Penn State. Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, both been eating. If you're either program, I think this is going to be a very big hinge point because for Michigan, if you can run the ball, well, guess what? That means you get to then dial some, up, excuse me, dial some stuff up for J.J., you get to then have the safeties creep up, creep up, creep up. Well, hey, we're going deep to Ronnie Bell or insert whatever wide receiver name you want to there. That's the place where that could really start to hurt Penn State. And that's where things kind of get dangerous, I think, for the Nittany Lions. J.J. McCarthy, if it, if it becomes just a quarterback duel, I think you like your chances at Michigan. 
like we already alluded to. If you can feed Nick Singleton, if you can feed Catron Allen and get three yards here, get four yards there, you can live in those comfortable situations. That's going to be how they want to operate. Because if you put the pressure on Sean Clifford, you say, Sean Clifford, man, we're getting a yard and a half, two and a half yards of carry right now. Need you to go win the game on the road. I'm not saying he can't do that. I'm saying that's a lot less comfortable than saying, hey, we got third and three, go play action, throw it to Strange. You see where I'm coming from with this? It's not impossible, but you want to be able to be more balanced. For both these programs, Michigan's been really effective against the run, and I think that's going to sort of force the issue against Penn State. So we'll see what happens there, but something to keep an eye on. Who gets to play more balanced? I'll leave it at that. Our prediction for this game, Michigan is scoring 43 points a game. Is it a track meet? I don't know. If it becomes a track meet, favors Michigan. Now, does Penn State allow it to? Whole other talking point. But I think with J.J. McCarthy, like I said, growing pains are still out there somewhere. Is it this game? I don't think so. I think we see his legs play a factor. I think we see the Michigan run defense sort of neutralize the Penn State ground game early, which, like we just talked about, forces that pressure back on Sean Clifford. We think Michigan wins this game in a blue and black kind of fashion. Everybody's beat up after the game. 34-24, to 24, the Wolverines get a very, very big win at home on Separation Saturday. Separation Saturday, it's coming. Whether you like it or not, lock the doors, bolt the windows, does not matter. It is coming, it is taking no prisoners. Now we're going to have y'all join the party. Favorite part of the whole program, because y'all are the ones that make this whole operation go. So thank you for that. Before we get to the live chat, I'm going to answer a question from Twitter. So if you're not following me on Twitter, you're not following me on Instagram, would encourage you to do that. This opens the space a little bit more for us to have a little bit more interaction on those channels, at JD Pakel. So we got a question from our friend, at Longhorns underscore B12C. I think that's at Longhorns Big 12 Champions, if I'm reading that correctly. But they asked a very valid question. I'm sure drinking the juice off of the Red River rivalry victory over Oklahoma. Just did ridiculous things to the Sooners, 49-0. Asked the question, can Texas win out? Assuming that's the question, can Texas win the rest of their regular season slate and then play for a Big 12 title? You would imagine that's the question. So here's the deal. The answer is yes. Now, are there some variables? Absolutely. Pause really quick here. If you have a question, put it in the live chat because Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, is about to get on here and make some magic, and we want to make sure we get to your questions. So that's the final call I'll put out for this. Put your questions in the live chat. If you want to join the party, we would love to have you. Also, subscribe to the program. Getting back to the topic about Texas, can they win out? Can they win the Big 12? All these games that they have ahead of them are winnable. On the flip side of that coin, the way the Big 12 is this season, all of those games are also losable. Let's take a look. They got Iowa State at home next. Then they go to Oklahoma State. Not a kind place to play by any stretch of the imagination, but a very winnable game nonetheless, if Quinn Ewers is on like he's on. Then they get a week off, go to Kansas State, the Little Apple, play TCU at home, go to Kansas, play Baylor. That's a tough gauntlet. You were looking at this thing before the season started and said, okay, revenge at Kansas, we love it. Well, Kansas is playing some good football right now. Something to keep an eye on. Three things need to happen for me for Texas to eventually play for the Big 12 title. If they want to win these games, these three things need to happen. First and foremost, stay healthy. Can't always control it, but what you can control, do your best to be at full strength because you're going to need everybody. We saw what they are without Quinn Ewers. Not a bad product, not a bad football team, but they would much rather have number three back there slinging it for them. And you think he can park anywhere he wants now after Red River? If they win the Big 12, I don't even want to get into that conversation. Second piece, don't eat the rat poison. It's a program that we have talked about a lot with their culture. I think it's a new Texas based on what we saw against Red River. But if you start believing your own hype, the success is a new feeling right now for Texas transparently and respectfully. If you start believing your own hype and thinking, yeah, we're going to roll, out the, we're going to roll the ball out there and play at Kansas and we'll be fine, you go home with an L. I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm saying that's a crucial variable. And I promise you, every Longhorn fan watching this right now is saying, yes, 
We cannot get complacent. We can't afford to get complacent. Very big deal. Finally, don't play the logo. That's another another culture thing. So a lot of these things hinge on culture, but don't play the logo across from you because that Kansas logo, I hate to pick on Kansas, but it's the truth. It's not as appealing as maybe a Oklahoma State logo or that Baylor logo is maybe more appealing than the Kansas State logo. If you treat any of these opponents differently, you're going to be in for it just the way the Big 12 works, just the way that your program works right now, quite frankly. Texas is turning over a new leaf. They have not yet arrived. They have a chance to. It's teed up for them, but they have to make sure they finish the mission, if you will. So finally, stay healthy. Don't eat the rat poison. Do not play to the logo. If they can do all those things, they will have a chance to run the table, and play for a Big 12 title? Great question, again, from at Longhorns underscore B12C. So, going to go to the live chat now. Welcome in the best-looking man, a part of this operation. You love him. You want to be him. Nick, heavy lifter break. (laughs) Back on the ones and twos, my man. How are we doing? Uh, Dude, we're doing great. Uh, First and foremost, shout-out to all the Tennessee fans. I feel like our chat right now is like a Tennessee uh, fan page and a fan site, so um, that's pretty awesome to see. Uh, But, J.D., uh, look, I'm going to stick with some of the volunteer questions. Uh, One of the fans asked me, sorry, I'm going to try to go find it No, you're good, Um, my man. Keeper of the queue. There are a lot of questions. Keep asking, by the way. Okay, here, I found it. Does Tennessee have a better chance of beating Georgia or Alabama? Yeah, very good question. We just shot our shot on this program earlier and told you we think that Tennessee is going to be Alabama. Tasted like vinegar coming out of my mouth. Um, Don't feel great betting against Nick Saban. It's one of the bylaws of my life, but we're picking them to be Alabama. With that being said, you would love to beat Georgia as well. However, that game is in Athens. And if you beat Alabama, guess what it does to the Georgia game? One, the stakes go way up, but in that Georgia locker room, the ears perk up, perk up a whole lot. You're not sneaking up on anybody. I'm not saying they're going to sneak up on Alabama per se, but I think to beat both Alabama and Georgia, they would be singing in the streets of Knoxville. But I think you like your chances better this week based on the way that Alabama's played and the fact that you get to play Georgia at their house in November. I think that Georgia team will be a little bit different than they are right now. So we'll see what happens there, but that Georgia team in November will be locked and loaded, be in championship mode. So the final answer is we like the Alabama game better than we like the game at Georgia. But that's a great question. Uh, next up, how's this one? Garrett Bauer says, what are your thoughts on the LSU Florida? Does, you, does UF have enough on defense to handle LSU's offense? Good question, Gary. It's a great question. Yeah, and what we saw from LSU last week, honestly, Jaden Daniels threw for 300 yards. Didn't really push the ball downfield per se, but all that's to say, I mean, they saw some improvement there. They've got to play better. And to me, the same narrative is true with LSU as it has been in weeks past. How do you start the game? Like, is it a game where it's at 17-0, you're going to be down to Florida and you're trying to claw your way back into the game? That can't be the case. If it happens that way, I think LSU is in very big trouble. If we had to pick that today, maybe we'll preview it as the week goes on. We think Florida probably wins that game if we had to pick it today just because of all the stagnation and the issues we've seen from LSU. Now having another loss on the resume, the way they got beat at home against Tennessee, I wonder where their psyche's at. So should learn a lot this week, but today we picked the Florida Gators. Love it, Nick. Anything else we got, big dog? Dude, sorry, I was out trying to focus my camera. Look Dude, at you're me, making man. the whole... No, you're you good, You can barely man. even tell how... You got a lot of plates spinning. Good looking here, I am, man. right? No, you're good. Um, my gosh, we're getting so many questions. I'm love trying it. to read all of them. I love it. Um, keep sending them in. Or excuse me, excuse me, keep sending them in. How's this one, JD? I know you're not going to want to answer this one because I don't think you have a true answer. Oh. By the big red, huh? He's going to put it on. By okay, look at big that. Red. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tough loss last week at Harvard. Nonetheless, boys are bouncing back. We got my guy Jay Wang pulling the trigger for the, the Cornell Big Red. David Archer and the boys getting rolling. Big Red all the way. So that's my answer. We'll see if we can put this back over here. Am I out of focus now, Nick? Was that just No, the, I am, but you are in focus very right, much yeah, so. Yeah, we're locked in. Great question, though. Yeah, no, no trouble answering that. That's actually where I went to school, where I played my college football. So our loyalty lies in Ithaca, New York. 
Love it, man. We got Andy Bernard that? in the house. <laughs> what you say, Andy Bernard in the house? <laughs> Let's go. I love it, man. Look, we, we talked quite a bit about Tennessee, so I don't want to ask too many volunteer questions. Sure. Uh, but they're, they're showing us so much love right now, so I'm going to ask again. Uh, this one's from Ghost Legit. Is Tennessee a playoff contender? No way they aren't. He says, are they a New Year's Six Bowl? Probably, but he wants to know, are they a playoff contender? Yeah, that's a fair question. Uh, depends on this week, right? Like, this is the week where you find out how far along is Tennessee. Because if they can beat Alabama, we learn a lot about how far along that program is. Tell you what, the, the offense itself is college football playoff level. The back end of that defense, if they don't beat Alabama, I think that's where you point the finger. So we'll see how that all plays out. But there's parts of this team that are playoff caliber, but the secondary has to be better if they want to have a chance. So New Year's Six Bowl, though, I think is not a bad floor to have by any stretch of the imagination. I'm still no. You're good, <laughs> man. My you're focus making, is getting you're, worse. You're cooking. Guys. You're cooking. <laughs> um, well, I get a couple more questions. Yeah, you let's, let's, that, do, let's do two more. Okay, two more questions. Um, if you haven't asked one yet, go ahead. Um, good music said. Did he just answer my question? Um, <laughs> man, a lot of good a lot music. of uh, inner conflict in the chat. Kind I love of, it. Uh, I love it. While, while we have them here, while you're, while you're scrolling through those, Nick, folks, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we do these live shows, and it's a phenomenal way for us to interact together. Y'all drive the show. We sit here and do what y'all want to see, and it's a great time for everybody. Again, we're also on podcasts, Spotify, Apple, whatever you like, we're there. So go ahead and check us out. Leave a five-star review. We may even go to the podcast feed at some point and start drawing questions. So very important you're locked and loaded with us there. Would love to have you along for the ride we got two more in the chamber nick you think oh we do Let's stewart do it, wants to know which team do you think is a sleeper someone that could possibly contend with some juggernauts probably wants you to say the volunteers at this point the volunteers. everybody wants you to <laughs> i'm sensing a trend here is that that chat turning orange for us uh <laughs> in terms of a sleeper team i'm really excited to see what tcu does i think tcu is a team that we haven't talked about nearly enough Max Duggan is playing some of the best football of his life. They got a huge win in Lawrence, Kansas this past week. The Big 12 is wide open. And if there's a team that's going to make the playoff from that conference, I already said I think Baylor and Oklahoma State are going to play for the title. But TCU, if they continue to surge, if they do end up being that team that wins from the Big 12, listen, a one-loss Big 12 champion, I believe, will get in. So if TCU can be that team with one loss and take home the crown, they're a team that needs some more consideration. So I know it's only week seven, but we got separation Saturday up ahead for us. I think we'll learn a lot about the Horn Frogs as this year wears on. But for right now, don't hit the snooze on the Horn Frogs, man. They're my sleeper right now, Nick. That's a good question, though. I love it. Sorry, it's not the Vols. That's just the way it goes here. You know, we're not a Tennessee <laughs> channel, unfortunately, contrary to popular belief. I've got one more question. Let's do it. He asked a question on Sunday. I didn't know how he wanted me to say his name or their name, uh, but I'm going to say it again. Drago. Love <laughs> I'm going to just say Drago. What do you think or who do you think is better, Hooker or Stetson Bennett? Another Tennessee-related question. Yeah, that, see, that feels a little bit like it's an uh, emotionally charged question. It's a I will, trap. I will say this. Definitely a trap. I will say this. Hendon Hooker, if you were to go out there in a pro day and set up some cones, say, hey, we're going to throw routes on air, y'all get 50 throws, I think Hendon Hooker would probably complete 48 to 49 of those, right? Probably has the best pro day. So is he the better quarterback from that perspective? Sure, maybe so. What I will say, though, is Stetson Bennett, you look at his ring finger and tell you what, a lot of sparkles right there. A lot of sparkles, probably has the final score on it. He's got a nice big national championship ring on his finger. So heavy is the head that wears the crown, Stetson Bennett. If you're talking about like NFL ceiling and stuff like that, it's probably Hendon Hooker. But Stetson Bennett, I'm not going to join the hater conglomerate that he has. I, I will not do that. Both very good quarterbacks, different strong points. Not to sit on a fence. But that's kind of where we fall on the matter. So we'll go ahead and lean Hen and Hooker right now from a statistical perspective. But the mailman's a winner, and he's got the jewelry to prove it. It's a good call. Jimmy. Love it, man. Awesome. Well, hey, folks, thank you so much for being locked in. This has been an absolute blast. If you haven't already subscribed to the channel, come join the party. We do content every single day. We have another live show at 4 Eastern, 3 Central on Thursday. Okay, so 
sort of let this sit with you. Go listen to the podcast, tell a friend to tell a friend, be a friend, send them this link to the video, have them subscribe, all that. Then Thursday, come back and join us. We'll get the live chat rolling. We'll do some more previews. We'll talk some more topics. It's going to be a real good time. But as always, thank you so much for being locked in with us. This is a privilege. This is a blast. And we thank you so much for being a part of it. Until next time, until Thursday, that is, we're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.